today. If you've been reading ahead, we're in Mark 2, 1 to 12, and it's the story of Jesus healing the paralytic. And that's where we are. And so I didn't wake up saying, let me wear a boot and bring my crutches. Uh, yeah, that would have been good, but I'm not that smart. Uh, but, um, you know, God has uh, a, an ironic sense of humor, right, where he brings that together. And so somebody said this morning, well, by the end of the service, you'll be healed, Pastor. And so, okay, Jesus heals the paralytic, you know, and so God, of course, can do that because he is the God who heals. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We are in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We uh, have just really begun, just kind of cracked the pages open of the New Testament and looking at the Gospel of Mark. And remember where we are now, we, we spent some time in the Old Testament looking at Jonah and Malachi, the end of the Old Testament. We had some messages that bridged the gap that talked about the 400 silent years, about the coming kingdom, what that looked like. And uh, we, we talked about um, and, and how the, um, you know, the, the last prophet was given to come in Malachi when he said there would be one more prophet, and it was John the Baptist very clearly. And, and then he, of course, prepared the way for Jesus the final prophet and priest and king. And so that's where we are. We have opened the pages and the, uh, the opening scenes of the New Testament. It is sort of Act 2 of the story of the Bible. We have closed the chapter on the Old Testament. But of course, we cannot fully uh, understand, embrace, interpret, and appreciate the new without knowing the old. And so we are here now where Jesus has begun His ministry. Just as a quick recap, you remember that uh, he is in Galilee at the beginning of Mark, but he spent almost a year in Judea first. And uh, it, Mark doesn't go into that because Mark is a man of action. Mark uses that word immediately quite often. We're going to see it again in our passage this morning. Because Mark is all about the way of Jesus. You'll hear him often say, on the way, on the way to things, Jesus, or on the way of the disciples, because Mark's point was that he was getting to the cross and the resurrection. He spends a lot of time, the last number of chapters, all about Passion Week and about the crucifixion of our Lord and about the resurrection, because that is what Mark wants to highlight. For in Mark, unlike the other Gospels, Mark is the shortest of the four but he is also the one who is leaves out much detail. But he is the one that gives so much attention to the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Because it is about Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the suffering servant. Now this morning we're going to look at this familiar, yet still beautiful and amazing story that... Uh, that of Jesus healing the paralytic. It's that story when his friends bring him and it's overcrowded in the house where Jesus is preaching and so they go up on the roof and cut a hole and bring him down and Jesus heals him. And there's some people in this story that we want to look at. So in some ways, we're going to take different vantage points on this same story. We're going to look at, first of all, the place where this happened in Capernaum. We're going to look at the people so we're going to see um, the crowd. We're going to see the friends, the paralytic himself, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes. 
and then, of course, the Lord Jesus Himself. So we'll take a brief look at each of them and how we can learn how to be disciples of Jesus through this. Because that subplot going all the way through Mark on the way, to Je- on the way of Jesus is how to be His follower. How to be a disciple of Jesus. A disciple is very simply a learner. One who follows. You remember the rabbis of the time, they had disciples. And students, young students, young men would go and try to, to find and seek after a rabbi. They would sit at the rabbi's feet and learn as the rabbi would teach. And the whole point was that they would say what he would say. They would do what he would do. They would want to emulate the rabbi. So Jesus being a rabbi and being our Lord and Master, we are his disciples and so we sit at his feet. We hear what he has to say. And we are called to do what he tells us to do. Is that right? We say amen to that. And so that means we are disciples. So when we believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation, we are then recognizing that we have been given eternal life in Him, saved from the consequences of eternal sin, but we then have that choice to make. Do we want to be His disciples to make that commitment to learn, to grow, and to serve all while sitting at His feet? So this morning, let's do that. Let's sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus as we read the Word of God. The first thing I'll mention is this. You know, it's amazing. We find Jesus teaching. He's in a house. We're going to read the passage in a second, but He's in a house and He's teaching. His primary goal was not to perform miracles. We've already seen Him heal. We've already seen Him cast out demons, which He will continue to do. But it is all to give validity in confirmation to the Word. For the Word, the written Word, always points us to the living Word. So here is Jesus, the living Word Himself, preaching His own Word. Amazing, right? So that's what we find Jesus doing. And He heals a man. Right in front of the whole crowd, He heals them. And He heals this man, who we just know, not His name, but as a paralytic. So He was paralyzed somehow, could not walk, He was on a mat. And we'll see kind of how that transpires in just a second. But I think we can all relate to him. You know, we'll look at more of him in a moment, but we all want to be healed, don't we? We all have some kind of physical malady or ailment. You know, we could go around the room and just, you know, tell our sob stories about how we're feeling this morning and what's been going on. And we've probably already done that. Maybe even during the, the greeting time. How are you? And hopefully you're not just giving the typical Sunday answer. I'm great, brother. How are you? Because sometimes people ask us, how are you doing? And you say, do you really want to know? Well, let me tell you. And it's okay, that's what we're here for. We're going to look at his friends as well and see the part that they played. But we all do want healing. I want healing, right? I pray for healing and we all do. Um, I would certainly know in no way compare myself to this paralytic, of course. But God, again, in his ironic sense of humor and just the way that, that he works, and was working in my life, you know, um, just by allowing this chronic injury injury to, to flare up again just this week, it really did give me just a glimpse, a small glimpse, of what it might be like to be somebody like a paralytic, to have that kind of condition, the obstacles that you face. And we probably all understand what that looks like. We've had one time or another in our lives where we've been incapacitated, uh, for you know a number of days or weeks or months, and we have that we have that understanding. And so when we hear about a paralytic being 
lower down on his sleeping mat before the Lord Jesus to be healed, perhaps we have just a glimpse of the obstacles that maybe he had to overcome. Just your daily routine changes, doesn't it? Like if you ever had surgery on your foot or your hand or, or it's immobilized, there's just things you take for granted that you can't do. Do you ever have your hand in a cast and go try to blow your nose and you knock yourself? I mean, you know, or you get up and you forget and you stumble over and how am I going to get dressed? And how am I, it's, it's amazing. But God shows us a little bit of suffering and sacrifice, but we all have that desire to be healed. But we pray for healing, and we should. We pray for ourselves. We pray for others. We often can grow tired and weary of our acute and chronic diseases and conditions of those things that are distracting and disheartening and depressing, those symptoms that we see each and every day. But we know God, our great physician, can heal us. But we are to pray that He would do it His way and His time. But we absolutely need to pray that God would bring healing to ourselves, to those that we love. So here in our story, we'll read in a moment, the people flocked to Jesus, and they were no different. They gathered in this home, probably the home of, of uh, Peter, Simon Peter. Remember we saw that he healed his, um, his mother-in-law? Remember that? And uh, this Capernaum and this house is really sort of his ministry base for his time in Galilee. Capernaum's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and so that's where Jesus, that's where sort of his hub was, and he would go out to all the surrounding towns to preach. And in giving confirmation of his power and his authority, he would heal and he would cast out demons. And so he's in this house and there are crowds that flock. Even so many, they blocked the doorway. So the friends could not bring their friend who was in distress and need. They couldn't bring him in. Right? We are also often desperate for healing, just as they were. Today there are millions upon millions of people who are desperate for relief and healing, for financial favor from the Lord. And Jesus was a champion of the weak and the vulnerable, the poor, the oppressed, the blind, the lame. Just read Luke chapter 4 when Luke talks about his beginning ministry and he comes into the synagogue and he opens up the scrolls from Isaiah and he talks about the coming day of the Lord and he is there, he has come to bring freedom to the oppressed, Food for the hungry, sight for the blind, healing for the lame and the suffering. That is our Lord Jesus. But as our passage will reveal today, Jesus goes even deeper. You ever notice that? Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. Whenever people confront Him or talk to Him, whether it's the religious leaders or those who have a question, how do I get to heaven? What do I do as your disciple? He always answers with a question. Where he gets right to the heart of the matter. Doesn't he do that? He gets right to the root. Jesus does that here in our text for this morning. For he shows himself as our good shepherd who cares for and protects his flock. We know his voice. We are to cry out to him in our time of need. That's what these people were doing in our story. They were crowding into that house, locking the doorway. As my dad, a retired fireman, would say, what a fire hazard. Right? And they're crowding the door. No way to get in or out. But his friends had a brilliant idea. Right? 
So, in our text, Jesus heals the paralytic. We'll look at it from different scenarios and different viewpoints, but it is a wonderful and powerful story of the Son of Man, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, bringing healing to a man in need. So let's read it. It'll be up on the screen for you, or you can turn in your Bibles to it. Mark 2, the first 12 verses. And when he returned to Capernaum, again, that's a city on the Sea of Galilee, and that's sort of their home base. After some days, it was reported that he was home. So the word got out that Jesus was back home. So, of course, all the people said, let's go. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. They came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And they could not get near him because of the crowd. And so they removed the roof above him. When they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes who were sitting there, they're part of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in His Spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, He said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise up, take your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And so He rose. And immediately picked up his bed, went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. And that's our story for this morning. So I'll paint a little bit of the picture. They're in this house. You can probably visualize what the house looks like, most likely made of stone and clay and, and you know fashioned bricks. And it would have had a flat roof that would have been made of timbers and then kind of filled in with sticks and straw and thatch and clay to kind of keep it cool during the summer and warm during the colder nights. And and so there was always a stairway on the outside. So we put our stairways on the inside. They had their stairways on the outside. And so these four men had a friend. They were all friends and they had a friend who was a paralytic. Right? We don't know. We, obviously he couldn't walk. He was on his bed that he probably slept on. He was carried that around. He was probably out begging. Perhaps he couldn't move his arms either. We don't know, but he was a paralytic. So his friends, seeing they couldn't get him through the door, carried him up those outside stairs onto the roof. And they made a hole in the roof. Now, it wasn't any small effort to do that. They would have had to dig through it. So dig through the thatch and the clay that was already hardened and dried. They would have been creating a hole big enough for a mat and a man to fit through. So it wasn't this. It was a big hole. They had to dig through it, probably kind of find the place where they could cut through the least amount of branches and timber. But listen, they also were pretty clever, I think, because they had to find the place on the roof that would have been right over where Jesus was. Because what if they dug a hole and lowered him down and he was back there behind Jesus? Well, that would have been an epic failure. 
So they found a way, very resourceful these four friends were. They dug a hole in the roof, and somehow they lowered him down. They had some rope or something with them, maybe some sheets, and they lowered him down right in front of Jesus. Now, let's take ourselves inside this house. A huge crowd coming to be healed to see Jesus do more miracles. There, of course, was some Pharisees and scribes with them trying to see what this was all about. They were all gathered there in this small room, probably dark, and and um, here comes this like little stuff falling from the ceiling, you know. Now it didn't say Jesus was deterred; he was preaching. As a good preacher, didn't let the babies crying or the stuff falling from the ceiling disrupt him, right, or deter him. And he's preaching, and little by little, more and more comes, and all of a sudden, there's this great big hole, and down comes this guy, just being lowered on his sleeping mat. And of course, everybody's seeing, and somehow, of course, Jesus then, he of course notices, and he comes right before him. And that's the scene, and that's the picture. And then we see what happens. They lay him down, again, Mark in his style, not filling in all the details. All it says in verse 5 is, when Jesus saw their faith, the friends, the paralytic, he simply says, son, your sins are forgiven. To the cripple, to the paralytic. He says, sons, your sins are forgiven. We'll get back to that in a moment. But then the scribes, they start questioning in their hearts. And Jesus, of course, it says, in his spirit, right? He knows what's going on in their minds, in their hearts. And then he calls them out on it. And says, why? Because they're questioning, who is this guy? He's blaspheming against the name of God. And why? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So why would he be blasphemous? Because he's making himself equal with God by saying he can forgive sins. That's the whole point of what Jesus is doing. So immediately Jesus knows that and he asks them this little question, almost like a riddle. Which is easier? To just say the words, you're forgiven, or to say, rise up your bed and walk? Now it's kind of a trick question in a sense. Jesus is good as that. Both, both of those things only God can do. But he recognizes that they're probably saying, oh, sure, Jesus, it's easy to just say the words. You're forgiven. How are you going to prove that? How do we know that? We can't see the man's heart and his mind. So Jesus says, but, in verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He then says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And that's what he did. He went out, probably bust through that crowd. Everybody was amazed. Glorifying God, the guy was. And everybody's saying, we never saw anything like this. So let's look briefly at the place and the people. Capernaum, right? Again, it was Jesus' kind of center of ministry. Excuse me, his base, his home uh, base when he was in Galilee. Many other miracles occurred there. In Matthew 9, it's described as his own city. So he loved this city. Capernaum was a blessed city to him. right? Located on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. He was preaching in a house there, overflowing with listeners. He did many wonderful works in Capernaum. He healed the centurion's servant in Matthew 8. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. We just saw that. He cast out many spirits and demons in Capernaum. Even from, if you remember the story of the nobleman's son, from Cana, 
He healed the nobleman's son who was at Capernaum. He even performed a miracle when he wasn't even there. We see that in John 4. But here's an interesting thing. I want you to see Matthew 11, verses 23 and 24. Later on in Matthew's Gospel, we see Jesus condemning this city. And why? Because they rejected Him, like many other cities. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had, be, had been done even in Sodom, it would have been, it remained until this day. So Jesus is rebuking that city. He says, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. What a critique and a judgment on Capernaum. Why? He did all these miracles. He preached the Gospel. But overall, they rejected Him. You know, He was rejected in many ways, our Lord Jesus. Received not by His own. Starting even right here in Capernaum. A place He called His own city. Where He had friends, His first disciples. And He was performing miracles and casting out demons. And yet, they rejected Him and received Him not. Something I think that perhaps we can learn from that is we don't ever want to squander opportunities that we have to bless others and to bless the Lord Jesus. We have many privileges here in this country, in our church. We have the freedom to be able to worship, to spread the Word of God. We are blessed. But do we take full advantage of all those great privileges? Do we miss opportunities? Those divine appointments we may pray for, do we let them pass right by? You know, it says in Luke 12, 48, it says this, But the one who did not know and did what, was, what deserved a beating will receive a light beating for everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Let us make sure we recognize all the Lord Jesus has given us and we turn it back to Him in praise to give Him the glory for it and to use it for His purposes. Amen? That's our first amen. Let's look at some people. So we see the crowd. See, there were different emotions that Jesus evoked here in this, in this story. We see the crowd. The crowds were always a problem for Jesus. Not the people, but the crowds. You see, Jesus early on, if we've been seeing this already in Mark, He tells people that He heals. Even His early disciples, He tells them, don't go and tell people what you've seen or heard just yet. Don't go telling them the Messiah has arrived just yet. Why? He wanted to be able to do more for more people. But we see that wasn't the case. Remember with the leper that we saw last week, and He went out and He did just what Jesus told Him not to do. So then it said in our passage last week, Jesus had to go to the desolate places. It was like Jesus had a path. He's like, this is where I want to go the most people. And we're going to reach these people. I'm going to tell them the good news. And I'm going to heal them to prove it and cast out demons. But then because people are not doing what He says and spreading the Word too soon. It wasn't yet time. Remember He even said that to His mother Mary. right In His first miracle at the wedding wasn't time yet. So he had to kind of take a different route. right? Go to some more of the desolate places. But the crowds always created this problem. But here's a crowd of people 
they came, and you can't blame them, looking for healing. It said at the beginning of our passage today that he had been out and about, and then he was back home. And the word got out, so everybody's like, let's go. And the friend said to their friend, we don't know his name, we'll call him Jimmy, I don't know, Jimmy, let's go. We're going to pick up your mat and we're going to bring you to see this guy Jesus, and he's going to heal you. So the crowd gathered, we can't blame them. But few of the crowd, as always was the case in Jesus' whole ministry, few of them truly understood what he really came to do. Few of them went deeper and looked inside and knew their true need for spiritual healing and cleansing. You can just imagine, among this large crowd, there is unconfessed sin. And that's one thing we do have to notice. See, we don't know. It does not say what the cause of this man's paralysis was. So it is possible there was a sin or sins in his life at some point that caused this. We do not know. But nevertheless, Jesus forgives his sins. More on that in a moment. But it is true that unconfessed sin in the life of a Christian can cause physical ailment. It's true. Whether it's mental or physical or even spiritual and emotional. If we do not bring those sins that still snare us and entrap us as believers, if we do not bring them before the feet of Jesus and confess our sins, those sins can fester and they can cause even physical ailments. We understand that. However, let's talk about the flip side of that coin. In no way do we ever say that because we are physically maladied or we have some kind of physical issue, it's because our faith is small. Let's not make that mistake either. Because unfortunately we hear that too much preached, don't we? And so let's make sure we don't fall into that trap also. Because sometimes it's easy to do that, right? And we have this maybe lingering thing. We say, God, what did I do? What did I do? Perhaps you did. But let's not assume that and say, well, if my faith was stronger, let's just continue to pray and have faith that He can heal. And He will heal in His time and in His way. So there was this crowd around them. This crowd before Jesus. And what He was doing, He was preaching to them. They came for miracles. He was preaching the truth of the Gospel. But then we see His friends. They were faithful friends. They found a way, didn't they? They went up the stairs. They went onto the roof. Now what do we do? Let's cut a hole in the roof. Right? It almost sounds like maybe they were young men. Sometimes teenage boys can kind of think of things like that. What do we do next? Let's cut a hole in the roof. Let's just do it. Don't think of the consequences. I don't know. But here they were doing it. Right? And they brought their friend up on his mat, carried him up. That, that was a lot. Did you ever ask a friend of you to move? And they're like, no, I'm going to help you move. It's a lot of work. Here are these friends, and they're like, we're going to help you. We're going to get you to see Jesus. We can't go through the door. We're going to bring you to the roof. His friends were faithful. They found a way. They helped him overcome obstacles. An impossible obstacle. If he was sitting outside on his own, he could not have gotten through. Jesus could not have seen him through the crowd. Aren't we supposed to surround ourselves with friends like that? We look around in the church. That's what we're supposed to be, church. We are a community. We are called the body of Christ. We are to help one another. So let's just take note from these friends. Let us be a friend like that to others, starting with brothers and sisters in the Lord, 
moving beyond these four walls, people at work, in school, elsewhere, being a friend that is faithful, sharing the faith, but of course with others, uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord, let us be faithful to them, encouraging them, maybe even admonishing them. When we notice sin in their lives, it's a hard thing to do, but we're called to do that as well. But let's do what Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says. So let's do this. Let us carry each other's burdens. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch on yourself, lest you be too tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. These friends did that for the paralytic, did they not? He was a friend. They helped him. They helped him overcome obstacles. They brought him to a place of healing. So we do that with our friends in church. But we should also surround ourselves with those kind of people. As a youth pastor, we talk all the time about the influence and power of friendship. Right? Especially when you're, when you're young and you're that age and you're formulating your identity. The people around you, the friends you surround yourself with, they have more influence on you sometimes than your friends. What you listen to, what you wear, what you watch, where you go, what you say, what you do, everything. Even as adults, let us surround ourselves with good people who have our best interests in mind, who are always pointing us to the Lord Jesus, who are encouraging us to walk with Him in faithfulness. Let us carry each other's burdens. This week I've had a very faithful friend, one who I've had for more than 27 years. And you know, it's a, it's be a silly little thing, but there's so much you can't do when you have crutches and a boot on, and yet my wife, never complaining, would do whatever I needed to do and would whatever I would ask so lovingly, and of course she's perfect, right? We all know that, you know. But this week she has been. What a faithful friend, you know. And we know that if we're married, we have that. If not, we are to surround ourselves with faithful friends. But let us be faithful to others. And of course, not even knowing, they brought him, most importantly, to hear the truth of the gospel. So let us be that best kind of friend. For our friends that don't yet believe in the Lord Jesus as Messiah and Savior, let's share with them the good news of the gospel. Our family members and friends, that's what they need. So let's bring it to them first and foremost, because that's what Jesus did. We look at the religious leaders. Very briefly, they mocked and accused Jesus, even in their minds, and Jesus knew it. They were accusing Him of blasphemy. That's eventually what they would indict Him on, isn't it? What eventually He would go to the cross for, for being blasphemous, considering Himself equal to God. See, also, listen, their authority was threatened. They had all the authority before Jesus showed up. They were the ones, especially the scribes, they were the ones who were the authorities on the law. People went to them. Not everybody had a scroll in their homes of the Old Testament, of the Torah, right? They didn't have the law. They relied upon the rabbis, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the experts in the law. They relied on them. And here now, their authority being threatened so even in their minds they're thinking he's blasphemous why because he's forgiving sins who but god can forgive sins it's almost like jesus said exactly right that's what he came to do so jesus knew their hearts and their reasoning so he gives them that little back and forth what is it what's easier to say 
Your sins are forgiven or to heal. Yes, it's easy to say you're forgiven because you don't know. But he says, just so you know, the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. He then heals the paralytic. Let's not lose that as well. Because the paralytic then, he believed. He was a sinner. He knew he was a sinner. He must have known because Jesus forgave him of his sins. Yes, he had a physical condition. But Jesus, it says, he saw their faith, the friends and the paralytic. But then he looks at the paralytic and he says, son, he calls him son. Your sins are forgiven. Did you catch that? He didn't say, son, get up and walk. That's not what he did first. The first thing he did, the man came down. His friends wanted him to be healed. Everybody was waiting for this miracle. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And there still sits the man on his mat, paralyzed. Jesus did what was most important. But the paralytic believed. He knew he needed forgiveness. He must have. We don't know again what caused his condition. But either way, Jesus says to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. He would have known, most importantly, that's the kind of healing he needed. Spiritual healing. It was lost on most of the crowd. The religious leaders knew he was claiming to be God by forgiving sins, but then Jesus does the miraculous in their sight, and he heals the man. First, he heals his heart, and he heals his body. And he says, get up and walk. And he did. And he left that place glorifying God. So let's finally, in our last few minutes together, look at Jesus himself. For Jesus claims to be God. So we don't want to lose that. i leave this for last because this is the most important point in this whole story. It's not just about Jesus performing another miracle, although it's listed in the list of miracles that Jesus performed. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins and no one else. Not even the Pharisees and the scribes. They never even pretended they can forgive sins. They didn't even believe from their teachings and traditions, that the Messiah, who was the one to come, that they didn't believe that He could forgive sins. Only God. And here is Jesus saying, Son, your sins are forgiven. So very clearly, without saying the words, Jesus is, for the first time in His public ministry that we know of, claiming that He is God. And only God has the authority to forgive sins. Let us remember that as well. It is only through Jesus that our sins are forgiven. No one else can absolve us of our sins, forgive us of our sins. No man can do that. Only God Himself. Jesus is God. That's what He's proclaiming. It's a tenet of Orthodox Christianity that we proclaim and stand on here that Jesus is Himself God. Part of what we call the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, He is God Himself. Look at these other passages briefly, will you? John 10.30 and John 10.33. He says elsewhere, I and the Father are one. Could He make it any clearer than that? Right? We need to only look at the Jews' reaction to this statement. They knew it. John 33, You, a mere man, claim to be God. Right? Look at that. It is not for... Um, for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. See, they're even saying, we're not, we're not indicting you for these miracles. 
we're indicting you for blasphemy and we're going to stone you because being a mere man, you make yourself God. That was the blasphemous act that led him to the cross. Elsewhere, John 8.58, another example. He says, I tell you the truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Clearly, he is saying he is God. John 1, very familiar passage. Verse 1, verse 14, says, the, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is Jesus. The Word from before time. The Word was God. The Word is God. The Word became flesh. This lesson is most important because it is essential to us proclaiming Jesus' divinity. That He is divine. That He is God Himself. Look at 1 John 2.2. 2. He is the atoning sacrifice. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is the only one. He is a created, right? It is said, right? People say, oh, He is a created being. No, He is God Himself, right? The only begotten Son of God. Only God could take on the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Only God Himself. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin because He was perfect. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Isaiah 53.5 An often quoted Old Testament passage. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. Yes, with His wounds, we are healed. We are healed spiritually. We have, given eter- we have been given eternal healing and salvation from the consequence of sin. That is what that passage talks about. Not physical healing, but spiritual. Only God Himself can do that. Jesus shows it elsewhere. We saw some passages. He does it with the woman who washed and anointed His feet in Luke 7. How about the thief on the cross in Luke 23? Today you will be with me in paradise. He says that to him because only Jesus has the ability to forgive sins. Then finally we see, even to us as believers here on earth, on this side of heaven, those who walk with God, our sins can continually be forgiven. As we approach Him, 1 John 1, 7 and 9. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do we continue to look to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins? Friends, you know, as the church, as the body of Christ, as believers in the Lord Jesus, we know that we have been forgiven of our sin, 
our sinful nature that separates us from God, it gives us security, eternal security in salvation. But yet, as I mentioned earlier, does not sin still creep up on us? Are we yet perfect? No. So we still struggle with sin. We have been saved and set free from being slaves to sin. But yet sin can still try to ensnare us. But we have been given the freedom to say no to temptation. We come before God when we falter and fail. We ask God, God, would you forgive me? Give me the strength, the courage, the discernment, the wisdom not to fall into that temptation again. But we bring those sins before the Lord because He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That is why unconfessed sin in the heart of a believer can fester and grow. It becomes ugly and leads to all kinds of maladies, spiritual, maybe even physical. So let us confess our sins to the Lord Jesus often and always, letting Him know we are sorry for being disobedient and failing Him, but asking that He would give us that courage and ability to stand strong in the freedom He has given us. So finally, what are the implications and applications for us as we close out this story this morning? We are to confess our sin. We are to be faithful friends and surround ourselves with faithful friends. The most faithful thing, the best thing you can do is to share the good news of Jesus with those around you that don't yet know Him. That makes you the best friend of all. Don't take things for granted. I mean, the city of Capernaum was his home base. He called it his city. But yet they rejected him. They denied him. Let us not take for granted all the privileges we've been given having Jesus with us. Christians, friends, we have the Holy Spirit within us, don't we? We cannot live the Christian life successfully and faithfully without submitting to the leading and power of the Holy Spirit. May we do that as well, never taking for granted that power that is within us. And we see, as always, the greatest need of all mankind is the need for salvation. And that spiritual healing can come from one person and one person only, and that is the Lord Jesus. Fully God, fully human. He walked among us 33 years about. He's no longer walking among us, but He even said, did He not to His disciples, It is better that I leave, so I give you the Holy Spirit who will guide you into all truth, who will illuminate the Scriptures. He will be our comforter in our time of need. So we are to rely upon the Holy Spirit, God within us. And ultimately, and I end with this, we are to do what the paralytic did and even what Luke says the crowds did in Luke 5 in his rendition. We see they went away glorifying God. And immediately, Luke says of this story, he rose up, the paralytic did, before them. He picked up what he had been lying on. He went home doing what? Glorifying God. And then look at the next verse. And an amazement seized them all, the whole crowd in the house. And they glorified God and were filled with all, saying, we have never seen such amazing things. We have seen extraordinary things today. You want to see extraordinary things in your life? Do you pray that God would heal you? Whatever it is, you come and bring it before the only one who can ever provide that. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not to fully depend on others, 
for salvation. We surround ourselves with faithful friends. But ultimately, our faith and trust belongs in Him and Him alone. And why? So that the ultimate purpose of our being created and the ultimate uh, purpose of God incarnate in the person of Jesus, and that is to glorify God. That is what Jesus came to do. He came bringing the story uh, and the message of repentance for the kingdom is at hand. He did it all for the glory of God. For one day He will return for us, church. He will, he will then come after the tribulation and set up His kingdom. And at the end of that thousand year reign here on earth, He will then hand over the kingdom to the Father. And at the end of the story, at the end of all things, God gets all the glory. Amen? Would you stand? I'm not going to say stand with me because I'm not going to stand. But if you can stand, I would just like to pray over us and we can leave being encouraged that we have a Savior who can forgive our sins. That is the greatest miracle He ever performed. Father, we stand before Your throne. We have worshipped You through song. We have worshipped You through prayer, through giving, and through Your Word. Thank You for this wonderful, powerful, amazing story. God, we give You all the credit, of course. We want You to get all the glory. Lord, we know we have been created to glorify You, enjoy You forever. God, You've called us to be faithful disciples, to be faithful friends, coming alongside each other, bearing each other's burdens, sharing the good news of the Gospel. God, we don't ever want to take for granted those opportunities You've given us. But God, would You help us to keep our focus on things above where Jesus Christ is, Not on things of this world that can so distract us and deter us from the mission that You call us on. God, we thank You for the power You give us to do just that. To walk in faith. To say no to sin. To be a faithful friend. We do it because of the Holy Spirit within us. God, thank You for never leaving us or forsaking us. We thank You most of all and above all for Jesus Christ Himself. For His shed blood that covers our sins. God, when You look upon us, You see the blood of Your Son, Jesus. God, we thank You that we have become His righteousness and that therefore we can enter into Your presence. God, what a great privilege that is. May we never take for granted that privilege of presence with You. We ask for Your help, for Your guidance, and Your leading in the matchless name, the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So let us go.